Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody and welcome to the Cinefix Top 100, the spookiest pop-up book about watching 100 of the greatest movies of all time to ever be adapted into a podcast. I'm Clint Gage and joining me as always, Cinefix VP of Top Hats, Alex Stedman. Oh, I liked that one. Hello, Clint. Congratulations again on the promotion. Thank you. And of course, our resident Home Alone style weapons maker, Michael Calibro. Cal. Clint. How you doing? Doing great. Good. Let's just get this out in the open right now. We're at Sundance right now and it is... I would describe it as super fun. It's fun. Oh, yeah. It's been a blast. It's a little yeah. mountain town. Lots of movies. What's to complain about? Yeah, Very little. Yeah. I would. I mean, when you say it like that. I mean, we're working, but you know. Usually I would complain about the snow, but you know. It no, the snow's to, been perfect. Adds to the charm here. Yeah. 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 Well, because it, it, it's only snowed once, but there's been snow on the ground the whole time. Like there's a, it snowed a bunch last week, I guess. So it's been nice. It's been sunny and it's, it hasn't been so cold. It's, listen, you guys should be jealous. I would be here, jealous. This is kind of the point that I'm making. Uh, but the fun thing that they're doing here at Sun, it's the 40th edition of Sundance. They've been making a big thing of it, which has been kind of fun to be here for, for this year in particular. And they're doing, they've got a lot of filmmakers that have come back uh, with, you know, people that have had movies at several Sundances over the years, have them again. But they're also doing these cool retrospectives uh, screenings of some of their, some of their biggest bangers, I think, is what I would very much like Robert Redford to refer to them as. But one was actually on our top 100. And mm-hmm. so we got to go see The Babadook last night on a big screen, and it was wonderful. It was the first time I got to see it in a theater. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, see, I, I went to go see that when it came out. And clearly didn't leave much of an impression then, but, you know. Left, S- le- spoiler alert for yeah. where it is on yeah. your list. <laughs> left, left a hell of an impression now. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, though, because like, there's a certain kind of fear to watching it just alone in your house or something. Uh, but seeing it in a theater, like the sound design, we'll get into it, but it was different. Yeah. And also a lot of people at our screening hadn't seen it before. I was shocked. Yeah. Right. So the, the guy that introduced the movie, um, one of the programmers at the festival uh, started talking about it. He's like, just show our hands. Who here has never seen it before? And I, I want to say most people, fewer I, yeah. than 10 people didn't raise their hand. Like yeah. everybody in the theater raised their hands. It was strange. Yeah, um, but the people who had seen it, there were a lot of great Babadook cosplays. Show, so yeah, shout out to them. Yeah, there was one guy that was that was that did it did it right. Yeah, <laughs> we'll was, talk about it later. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that yeah. guy later. But uh, but the Babadook came out in 2014, uh, written and directed by Jennifer Kent, starring Essie Davis and uh, and this kid named Noah Wiseman. It's it's really their movie. There's other people in it briefly, but like it's a two hander, and they're they're both incredible in this movie. But it follows a woman whose husband dies in a car accident on their way to the hospital to to have uh, the their kid. And now it's six or seven years later, and this entity, the Babadook, just sort of shows up in their lives. And, yeah, it's it's this – because I remember seeing the trailer thinking, like, oh, it's a haunted children's – like a haunted pop-up book? Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, whatever. And so, like, 
it was a weird one to take seriously at the time until I actually saw it, which again, this was my first time seeing it in a theater too. Like I had never seen it outside of like watching it on my laptop or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great watching it in a theater. But like you were saying, like it's a, it's not that novel of concept. Yeah. Like the haunt. Oh no. Spooky, like children's storybook. But like when you're in it, something that should be kind of goofy and rote is not, it's really, really scary. And we'll talk about it, but it's like all just perfect production design, perfect sound design, perfect acting, perfect script. Like everything about this stupid movie is perfect. (laughs) makes me mad how perfect it is. Like when it, when an idea is, is, you know, when the, the elevator pitch is that random, like, yeah. yeah, it's a it's a haunted it's a, a horror movie about a pop up book. It's called the Babadook. And it's called the Babadook, and it's like oh okay, but and for like to start out in that sort of condescending of a hole, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and still be a great movie yeah. like that just speaks to the craft of it. The whole thing is put together so expertly and so well that it it not that it had anything to over. It, the only thing that it overcame was was you know me being a jerk about you know the, the synopsis. Yeah. You know, yeah, so. <laughs> But it is one of, to, not to spoil where it is on my list, but it is one of my favorite movies. It's, I mean, it's incredible. Same, not to yeah. spoil, but. I mean, you say it didn't leave much of an impression when you saw it in the theater, Cal. It just kind of came and went. I guess so. I, you know, like maybe it was just like 2014. I don't know where I was at that point, but like, you know, like just grief terror. Yeah. Probably wasn't resonating with me then Did, as it does. Didn't hit as, you. as it does now. I, I had just had, so my, my daughter was born in late 2014. Yeah. And by the time I got around to seeing it, you know, early 2015, probably it was uh, like it hit me mm-hmm. square in the chest. <laughs> like it was, it was, it was rough. But well, I was telling you guys, I've just never, I, I, not in a, I'm such a badass way, but I don't get scared by movies very often. Like it does not happen. The well, Babadook, you're a badass, yeah, so. yeah, I'm a, yeah, yeah, that's also true. But I've never had a movie scare me like the Babadook yeah. to the point where I had to like walk out of my bedroom the night after I saw it and say like I can't sleep. I just keep seeing the Babadook in the dark. Like, I, it scared the crap out of me. And I've never had a movie really do that, like, really since The Exorcist. You and, and William Friedkin, actually. Yeah. Apparently. I, I read that little little blurb where he yeah, was... Yeah, he said it was, like, the most, his with, most terrifying yeah. movie he's ever seen or something. Yeah. But uh, in addition to William Friedkin uh, going to bat for it, the pedigree of this movie, like, it, it, you know, it cleaned up at the ACTA Awards, which are basically the Australian Oscars, Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts. Uh, but it won for Best Film, won for Best Direction, and for Best Screenplay for Jennifer Kent. Um, Essie Davis was nominated for Actress. It also got nominations there for Editing and Production Design, which both I wholeheartedly agree with, and it's kind of a drag mm-hmm. they didn't win. I'm curious what Australian movie won for those things that year. Yeah. And then it was nominated and, and won a handful of other of those like genre-specific kind of awards things. Like, you know, you know it's got, funny, it though. Got, it, was a, it was a total flop in, like, box office-wise in Australia. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Well, and it, it hasn't done, like, in, I saw its total box office for, since its release for the last 10 years. And it's, it, you know, international, in the States, re-release, all the, a handful of things was barely $10 million. Hey, on a $2.5 million it's, budget, though. It's a win, yeah. It's a win. But it's not like a you know it, it's it's not gangbusters like it's it, that's the other great thing about this movie and and honestly the great thing about seeing it here at Sundance right like it's it became a cult thing and i think it's it's its success is not in it's not at all tied to the you know finances of it i mean it's not but at the same time it's not like it's a cult classic that was like a dud like right. this thing was successful on every metric it wasn't the gangbusters but like it made multiples of its investment yeah. back yeah yeah 
Well, I'd also be curious to see like kind of the home entertainment numbers that we never get to see, because I feel like that's where it kind of became like a cult classic. Cause I, I know I came to it cause it was just on Netflix. And so yeah. I wonder like how much those rights sold for, like how many people rented it. Like, I feel like a lot of people did not see it in theaters. Blu-rays were still a more prominent thing in 2014 too. Yeah. yeah. The other thing about this movie though, is that like fair or not to, to the horror genre in general, like I feel like this movie also, it's one of those that gets bonus points. Because I mean, it, it deservedly so. Like it gets all, it deserves all the credit that it gets. But there's this this sort of well, it's elevated horror, or it's mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah, no, it's I mean, it's horror, but it's not like horror. It's like art, you know. So it does get some bonus points, I think, as far as this the horror movies go. I think like, it that I think yeah. it is like I don't want to discount some of the more like quote unquote elevated horror movies that we've even talked about on this on the show but i feel like the era in which it came out it kind of launched i mean we're 10 years in that's why we watched it at sundance it was a 10th edition screening and i feel like ever since that 2014 year it's just been everyone's been trying to do it yeah because like the next year would have been like it follows and Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it follows and her witch and hereditary is probably like right around there those are a couple years later 2016 2017 that whole era And then yeah. we kind of started like dunking on elevated horror and, and right. scream and stuff. But yeah, horror horror is weird because it, you know there are those movements that that ha- start happening, or you know one movie breaks through. Like Blair Witch gives us found footage, and oh mm-hmm. that's incredible, and everybody does it, and then we get tired of it, and then we start making fun of it, and then somebody does one more that's actually really good, and. But yeah, I do think I do think the Babadook as, you know that that sort of horror as a metaphor, type stuff that. You know, I mean, even Jordan Peele, Get Out might be yeah. a, might be a um, certainly benefited from the success of a movie like Babadook. Well, that's true though, because I I mean, you look at Get Out and it was nominated for Oscars. I don't Hereditary wasn't, was it? No. Yeah. I don't think so. But I I think the Babadook did a lot. Like I don't I don't want to give it too much credit, but I want to give it enough credit. It really I think reignited that whole genre. I'll give it too much credit. Yeah. It it did I'm for me. Yeah. I was never a horror fan until the Babadook. That's really wild wasn't. to me. I because I mean you know I I grew up I you know I saw all the Nightmare on Elm Streets and the Friday the Thirteenth and you know I watched Halloween when I was too young. What someone just like force you to do it? Just like you know Clockwork Orange, you just like a little bit, open your yeah. eyelids because I mean like if you're not a horror f- if you're not a horror fan and yet you've still managed to watch like a half dozen Friday like <laughs> of, a of Nightmare the, of uh, right, a Nightmare right. on Elm I mean, Street happens. It's, it's you're, like, those, with friends, it? yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, our I, paths I, crossed. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, there's there's it's not much more than that. But I never engaged with it in a way that I that I sought them out. You know, like I would I would watch them. Buddies would put it on at sleepovers you know like that that sort of thing like but i was never i never just i would never say that i liked horror films until the babadook and i was like oh well see this is one that i can get behind mm-hmm. so that's why and i i always liked horror but i feel like the babadook is when i was really like oh it can be quite a bit more yeah well and you know maybe it was because by the time i saw it i was a very exhausted parent of a very screamy and not sleeping toddler so like i maybe it was just the fact that i connected with it for like it was the first horror movie that i ever like felt kinship with somehow you know and maybe, I mean, maybe that's all it was but this was a movie that like i've started seeking since this movie i started seeking out horror films in a different mm-hmm. way so I, so all that to say, yes, it gets like, all the credit. And too, like, what I find so interesting about the Babadook, not to harp too long on it, is like, you like it for the reasons, like, of it being elevated. Like, we can think about what it means forever. But I also like it because it scares the crap out of yep. me, which is why you watch horror movies. Yep. It's like the simple version and the more complicated version of why I love this movie so much. There's the thematic stuff going on. Yeah. And then there's the craft of, like, just quality scares. Yeah. So, 
I don't think we're going to find a better segue into brilliant moments. Any that you guys want to talk about? I mean, we could, we generally like. I'm happy to start with the opening of this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's the first one. Every I mean, just everything before the title card. There's like two or three minutes worth of stuff, a couple of different things before the title card um, that I, that I want to talk about. But what is it about the opening, Cal, that works for you specifically? The subjective nature of the dream. Like, I think it's I think it's an extremely smart move that we are not in the we're not in the moment when the car accident happens like we're in the dream that she's having of it seven years after it's happened so it's like it's a choice to make it like a not like in the moment kind of thing like the movie starts on the dream of the accident you don't realize it then but the more you dwell on it later in the movie it's like this is the grief that she's just been carrying like this day in and day out for like seven years or however old however old Samuel is, you know? And it's just like, I think that's like a really, really clever way to get into that story because it's just like, like they could, a lesser filmmaker would have been like, we're going to start the story where it starts, the moment of the car accident and have it be like IRL. Seven years later, it comes up on screen. Yeah. yeah. It does make it about this moment for for her. Her character, Amelia, I think is her character's name, right? It is. But it's the... um, Starting it there, that's that's a really good point because starting it there in the dream, it's like we're in her mindset just immediately. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Like it's there's no there's no time shifting or anything right. like that. It's all about right here. When it's right not a, it's not about the thing, it's about the impact the thing has had on her. Yeah. Like she's she's sitting here having a nightmare about it and, and really like well photographed nightmare too. Like the the static camera with the car clearly rolling and also, just like the fall to the bed. I, I really like that transition. Yeah. That's, it's, yeah. It's that's, properly surreal. Well, yeah. one thing that stuck with me, too, is like watching it again here, how much the theme of like sleep and how lack thereof can fully drive you to madness. And it starts with that. Like the bed becomes something of a nightmare because that's where she has this dream again. Yeah. Yeah. The bed is not a. a it's a horrible place. place. Yeah. There's no there's no rest. Yes. too, Which is another thing that I imagine we're going to talk about at some point is just like how utterly nonstop life is for her that's why it's so yeah. scary she yeah. can't escape and any of it can't escape any of it the and it, so after we we get this dream sequence though the, the the rest of the opening sequence ahead of the title card i think is like subtly very brilliant too because like there's this moment where she wakes up from the dream when uh samuel her her son wakes her up and saying i had the dream again like even he can't sleep and so they go through this routine of checking under the bed and checking in the closet and reading a book and it's this and and the way that it's cut and the pace of it uh, it establishes a pattern right and it teaches us a certain thing about the movie too right which is one of these things that I, that I love about intros like this movies that really ef- efficiently set up the language that they're going to use in the intro is really great because one of the things that I love about this is it establishes the fact that we're looking in dark places mm-hmm. like this is a movie about looking at things that you don't want to look at and so to have an opening sequence that is like here's our routine we glance under the bed, we glance in the closet, we say there's nothing scary there, but it's very, it's not in a serious way. And it's not, and it's a routine. And it's not anything that is actually actively talking about what it is that's scary about the darkness, right? It's mm-hmm. just like, throw some light on the, on the darkness real quick because those shots all start on black and then the bed covers come up and we see them peeking. And it's black again, and then the doors open, and we see them looking in the closet. Like it's it's these cool little reveals of these spaces that we're historically supposed to be, you know, scared of. And so this is a movie about looking in those places, mm-hmm. which is, it's just this really quick little lesson. And like, here's how you guys need to watch this movie, mm-hmm. which is which is great. Yeah, and I don't want to go too deep on it, but I don't think you can go too deep on this movie. Like it's 
she's doing the same thing with her brain later on. She's like looking in the dark little places yeah. in her bra- brain to exactly. escape this. Yeah. And also like, I think we should talk, I think, I think we'll talk about it a lot, but just like the production design and how dark and kind of yeah. drab and scary the whole house is. And not only that, how it's like juxtaposed in all the non house locations. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like the nursing home is, true. is like, is beige, not white, but it's like beige. And then the sister's house is like very white. Yeah. Well, and I, I would have to go back and watch it again now that I'm thinking about it. But is there a shadow anywhere in the movie besides the house? No, oh, I don't there think might so. not, I mean, nothing, nothing well, they, significant, they, right? There because was everything that thing is... in the car, but that's different. No, no, no. Yeah. I think he means like it's it's very soft lit, right? Yes. Like, oh, every, yeah, everything yeah. is yeah. very flat. There's everywhere no expressionist. Else. Right. Like the like German expressionism start like <laughs> yeah. type lighting with like exactly. the harsh shadows and like. The really fast old. fall off yeah. of, of every shadow in their house uh, against. Just like at her sister's house or at the the her her job, the nursing home where she works, like everything is very flat, very soft lit, and I don't know that there. I mean, obviously, I'm sure there are because that's how light works, but like, there's nothing significant, you know. Well, the funny thing is, is, too. Later, I think her sister's daughter says she doesn't like coming to your house because it's too depressing. Yeah. Like, it's pretty depressing yeah, in there. She, like, she's not wrong. it's dark. Yeah. It's a scary place. Um, but just to, to move away from the, the intro for a second, the last thing I want to talk about the intro is immediately before the title card, that sequence where uh, Samuel is, in, is asleep next to Amelia and he's like grinding his teeth and grabbing at her neck with her hand and his feet are just kind of on her. And then like she shoves him away and then there's the, the top down shot of them laying in bed and she's put as much distance between the two of them as possible mm-hmm. on the bed, which like is, is such a, a, a simple, but like powerful image of like, here's a mother and a son, a mother that like can't stand being around her son. Yeah. And it's, it's such a heartbreaking image because also she's trying so hard. She's trying so, she does not want to so admit to herself exhausted. that she is yeah. so and, done and with and her son like, right now. You know, I mean, we were joking about it after the screening last night, but uh, you know whether or not Jennifer Kent has kids, like I have no idea. But at minimum, she gets it. Yeah, like, that's a real thing that happened. Like my five year old still does that. Well, like, it's funny because like we were walking out of the movie, and I was like, God, I forget how insufferable that kid is. And you were like, No, that's like, kids. No, that's that's just kids. kids. Yeah. <laughs> I think. The next one for me, kind of like staying in that beginning area, is the scene at the park, and you just have uh, the kid. I can't remember his name now. Samuel. Samuel, um, and he's just screaming for her, and she's just ignoring him. And they're they're having that talk about how uh, usually their kids would share birthdays, and the sister's tr- trying to like draw a boundary and say like you can still come to the party, but she wants her own birthday. Yeah. So you kind of get that tension in between the sisters. And then all the while, this kid is screaming, Mom, Mom, Mom. And you know what's about to happen. He's climbing up and up and up. And you Mm -hmm. actually don't see it, though. It just cuts to him screaming in the car. Yeah. You don't see him fall. Which, which, by the way, that shot well, because I'm I'm literally looking at a still right now of it, of just like long lens. He's blurred out in the background. It's just like focusing on her, just being like, oh, shit. As it's just Samuel screaming. Well, and even the cut to and this is another thing like why the editing in this movie is so good like samuel screaming and there are a handful of 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 moments that are hard cuts from samuel screaming to samuel screaming in a different location Mm -hmm. right like in this instance because it just never ends well he's he's standing on he's and that that it is a creepy looking shot him standing on top of the swing set it looks so unnatural and he's just up there like mom like screaming 
And then it's a hard cut to him crying. Like you assume that he fell and he's hurt himself and he's crying in the backseat of the car on the, on the ride home. But there's no, usually there's that juxtaposition of scream worthy event happening. And then there's a hard cut to sort of the, the quiet aftermath of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's usually how those hard cut juxtapositions work. And in this one, it's just like, Nope, we're going to the next thing. And he is still screaming. And the other moment that, that does it really well early on in the movie is the first time they read the book. Oh. Which we can talk about the book a little bit too. Like how how thoroughly creepy is this pop up book? Great. I mean, yeah. she went out of her way to recruit the uh, what's his what's his name? I have uh, Alex. Evil Doctor Seuss. Alex Huaz J J U H A S Z. Okay. I don't even know how to go about. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Alex. 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 J Man. So he like he he like there was a there's a pretty good making of documentary online about about the books and it interviews him. And he's just like, yeah, she, uh, she headhunted me big because uh, she really liked my opening credits to, uh, the United States of Terra, which, <laughs> which is also, which is also a, uh, a pop-up book inspired opening credits. Yeah. yeah. And he's just like, I never made a physical book. That was all like computer animation, but he's like, I'll try it. Yeah. And so like, all those books are just like handmade and custom painted and they just like it shows yeah, it, yeah. well that's not a font that exists like yeah. that font is the Babadook font well, yeah. and I also love how the you know it looks like some of the words have been stamped kind of awkwardly and incorrectly they're like different like sizes almost and, yeah. yeah like it's almost yeah. like when you like cut from a magazine like one of those ransom yeah. notes it's, where it's, like it's got a, yeah. it's got a ransom note it's just like, yeah. even the paper itself right it's like you know it's just like brushed with like watercolor yeah. So it has like that like tinge of like gray texture to it and stuff like that. It just looks so good. Yeah, it's incredible. But then the first time that they're reading it, you know, like he Samuel just he's like, I get to choose one tonight. And he picks it up off the shelf randomly and they start reading it and it gets progressively weirder. And he's like, oh, God, is, the, is he going to get the kid? Is he going to get the kid? What's happening? Yeah. And like, you know, uh, but it starts off innocent enough. I feel yeah. it's just like, oh, he's yeah, the it, it, yeah. it, it lures you in. Yeah. And, and then. Um, you know, and this is another one of those hard cuts where he's free. Samuel's freaking out about it. Amelia's trying to get like, let's not read this. Let's stop reading this. And then there's this incredible hard cut to her reading a different book. And he is just sobbing hysterically. Yeah, he does lap. not and, care. And he's, she's sitting there like exhausted, trying to read like some Dr. Seuss, like regular. Like, and then the, the wolf was happy forever. And he was like, it's such a funny edit to me of just like he's clearly Samuel has clearly been destroyed by this book. Yeah. <laughs> he's never gonna forget yeah, this. And then darn book. is just trying to like move on with it. Like let's just read this other book. And just please let fine. me sleep for the and love of God. Yeah, and it, it cuts to that. You know, it's it's all these quick cuts to everything that's happening on the page and the scary imagery in the book, and then it cuts to this like slow pullout of the aftermath of it, and it's still screaming and it's still crying and it's so exhausting. You just get tired watching yeah. it. Like you just feel so bad for her cuz like you said she's trying. Yeah. She's like trying to, you know, not snap at him, which she eventually does, but you know. It well, just, does she? I mean, she does. Well, uh, that's that's she up for debate because bit, like yeah. do we believe she's possessed by the Babadook or right. has she just lost it? Which I like that it's well, not there, really there is one scene. And I mean, there's there's plenty to talk about before we get to that scene if we're moving through it chronologically, mm -hmm. but um there's the one scene where like he comes at her from the ceiling. And everything after oh. that is him, right? But which we can skip to that scene if we want. But is there anything else? I think before that is the birthday party, right? Yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, that is the the cool thing about it is like the Babadook himself doesn't show up for a while. 
47 minutes. 47 minutes. Like, 47 I, mi- 47 I didn't minutes. realize that, like, watching it again, because it had been a couple of years. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this it does not have a lot of Babadook in it. You know, and that's that's another great thing about it is, like, it's it's a movie about these people. Mm-hmm. Like, it's less, it's not concerned with, you know, there's all these horror movies where, like, and even Jennifer Kent, who zoomed into the, uh, the movie theater to do a little Q&A after the screening. Which was which very fun. fun. But she, she even mentioned the Amityville horror as as a movie that she really liked growing up or a movie that she saw when she was young and but it you know i think about that movie when a horror movie is more about the monster than it is about the people because there's always there's those sequences where they go to the library and they're looking at microfish of like the old hospital that their house is built on and the torture that this evil doctor did to native, like whatever the, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever the backstory, whatever is the backstory is, there's always that extended sequence of, you know, the, the, the wife is going to investigate. And this movie doesn't have any of that because it's not important. Mm-hmm. Like the important thing to the movie is these, these, and so the Babadook doesn't show up for 47 minutes. It's half the runtime, but he's there, you know, like he's there. What was it? We were talking about this earlier. What was the quote that, um, uh, Orson Welles said about Harry Lyman that they're you know, oh yeah it's, it's a star role it's a star role right yeah. everybody talks about you the entire movie and then you finally just show up yeah the Babadook is yeah. the yeah. Babadook <laughs> yeah Orson Welles as the Babadook <laughs> um, I watch that hell yeah um, I don't know AI is gonna make it happen here before too long <laughs> sad <laughs> well, I know sorry I didn't mean to bring this movie about uh, you know this this grief horror movie I'm gonna bring it down by making a joke about Orson yeah, Welles and AI. All... That, <laughs> that's that the darkest thing we've talked about but the birthday party scene I think is pretty yeah. interesting so first of all you have the woman who's like oh why don't you try writing again a lot of like yeah. disadvantaged women I work with do that and yeah. it's the most condescending it's thing in the world awful yeah this is party at her at Auntie Claire's house which I guess like I don't know it doesn't matter if she's uh, Essie Davis's sister or not? So we were discussing this uh, after the movie. I think because uh, Cal's theory was that she's not a real sister, just like one of those friends that your mom calls Aunt Claire. Like uh, a close friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think they're sisters. I don't think she would be. Probably being... reading more about it, it seems like they are. Yeah, yeah. they don't look that much alike. But yeah. I don't. I don't think it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not super concerned by it. Like mm-hmm. I think what she represents is just like. There's nothing. There's no no safe harbor for yeah. well, for Essie Davis's Her character. Her old lady are just like the only tendrils to. If like, it's oh, yeah, the old if lady, it's family, if if you know, if it's if blood relative or 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 you know, chosen family, whatever Claire is, like she's ruining it. Like she's blowing it. Big time. Like yeah. She is not doing her job. But what makes me feel so bad for Amelia is you can tell she's trying not to be a burden. Well, but. and you can tell that, that Amelia also understands a little bit. Yeah. Like it's it's such a drag for her to, to hear it, but also she can't argue too much because yeah. like their house is depressing and they're going through some shit. Obviously, she knows that Samuel is, is troubled to, to whatever degree and like she sees it too. And Claire calls her out on that and, you know, Anyway, but yeah, the birthday party sequence where Samuel ends up pushing his cousin out of the treehouse. She was being the worst, though. Equally bad. There's another worst, I would say. Yeah. Let's, not forget, let's not forget like all those like rich Australian moms, too. Where it's just yeah. like, oh, I can't even go to the gym anymore. What a that. tragedy for you. Yeah. And I do. And this is another thing about Essie Davis's performance that you can really see in the, her moments of strength. Like she's she's got this soft just her vocal range alone. She's got this soft energy where she's exhausted and she's trying to deal with Samuel. But then when, when she gets pushed and when she starts to push back, 
her whole everything changes. Yeah, and she's got later, a lot of bite to her. Yeah, and then later, like the Babadook's voice is a completely different texture as well. Mm-hmm. But like when she when she claps back at that at that awful Australian soccer mom, like whatever, it's, you know the oh oh that must be so hard. <laughs> like <laughs> so good. Every, like when she when she slapped back at her, like that was incredible. And the, those women didn't have a clue what to do with it either no because they were oblivious like what did i say (laughs) well that is that is by the way the most accurate reaction too like when you're in that kind of uncomfortable moment and you're all just looking at each other like oh god what just happened it's all you know as as much the protagonist as amelia and samuel are in this movie and as much as everybody else around them uh the neighbor excluded like she's just a sweet old lady full stop love her um but all of the other characters that they encounter are so so unhelpful Mm-hmm. But also, like, it, it's this strange balance of you kind of understand where they're coming from, but you also kind of hate them for it, but not so much that it's, I don't know, it's it's strange. It's such a such an interesting and grounded balancing act with everything in this movie. The other thing that I find fascinating about this, too, is just, like, how the movie subtly goes out of its way. Not out of its way, but to just establish the utter lack of pleasure in Amelia's life. And it mm-hmm. happens in, like, three moments a when she just like you know watching tv sees the sex hotline and she's just like why don't i just go masturbate and then that you know that doesn't work out for her nope yeah the yeah. flipping through channels goes from a sex hotline to like some it's like, like a romance yeah. yeah yeah it looks like it's some like haze code era yeah. kiss yeah but, i mean they're know. just by the way this film has top-notch public domain great b-roll public, do- public <laughs> great domain b-roll especially movie, later yeah. when it gets really creepy oh yeah. the yeah, public yeah. domain channel on, yeah. uh, all that <laughs> all that milieu stuff yeah. but like so she like isn't able to like masturbate right then like the guy at work kind of likes her but she's too much in her own way to even realize that is like a potential path that she could take and i think like the genuinely happiest moment of the film up until like the catharsis at the end was when she lies about uh samuel being sick and like takes a half day at work and then she just goes and gets that ice cream and she's just sitting there just enjoying that ice cream for a second on a long shot and that on that couch and it's just like that's the only moment of reprieve and then she it, has it ends with phone. her looking at her phone and there are 10 missed calls from Claire yeah. mm-hmm. saying that your, your son's a freak. Yeah. You know, like, and so it, it's not that she's even like gradually pulled out of that moment. It's no. a, it's a, it's another car it wreck. A, it was like, a moment that was never supposed to happen. Yeah, exactly. She stole that moment and yeah. then she's paying for it. You yeah. know, it's kind of, but again, the, that's that no escape idea. And it's like it, the depression can feel that way too. It's like the only joy I have is this freaking ice cream cone yeah. and I'm going to sit here and enjoy it. Cause like, what else do I have? And, and even the, um, there's, cause I wanted to talk about that scene too at the mall with the, yeah. with the ice cream. Where, yeah. Cause the way that they shoot it, like on these long lenses through panes of glass, like it's this gauzy sort of dreamlike sure. state. And then it happens again when after the first night that that uh she gives samuel the the pills the tranquilizers that she gets prescribed from the doctor one other one other thing about like the the 10 the 10 calls thing it doesn't happen at the ice cream it happens after the ice cream and she walks back to the car and watches that couple making out in the car and like yeah and then like they catch her so she like looks down yeah and then like that's when she checks her phone Yeah, yeah yeah but also that's like kind of this like lack of pleasure she kind of has to blame her son because you have it very literally when she's trying to masturbate and he runs in the room but he's also kind of the reason why like she can't pursue this co-worker of hers like she uh, like inevitably blames him 
Yeah. I don't what, what's funny about the coworker thing is like I don't even think she notices. No, I don't think she does either. Like, what do you mean? Because I don't think she notices that he likes her. Like, oh no, I think she does. I have a different read I think on that. The idea of a romantic relationship doesn't even like a, a real one. I don't think that's even on the table for her men, like m- mentally. You know, I I don't think that registers as a, you know, maybe I should start dating. Like I don't think yeah. there's room for that. But in, again, in if her, she, in her, in if that's life. the truth, which I don't totally disagree with, it's because of Samuel. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, I mean, it's all, it's all because of the situation and yeah. like everything from the car wreck on. That is what's, you know, the cloud hanging over everything, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't, I honestly don't think she notices that coworker even a little bit. Like the fact that he, she brings, she doesn't react to the flowers that he brings her because he shows up being with like, the, hey, you want to model with, airplane and yeah, some flowers? Yeah, and I just wanted to check airplane. on you. And she's like, what? And then, you know, you know what it is, too, is like we never see him leave. Oh, like he comes over, does the flowers thing. And he goes, oh, I'm not sick. Like, I just can't go to school anymore. Or whatever. And so he realizes like, oh, something. something so he just kind of pieces and out. And we just cut to a different scene. Like we cut to her. You know, she walks into the kitchen, sets the flowers down and goes about something else. But we never see him. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll leave you guys to it. I'm, I'm sorry this is a bad time or, or anything like that. Like there was never any him leaving. So it's like he wasn't even there to begin with. Just thought I'd see how you're going. Can I come in? Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. We've touched on the sound design a little mm-hmm. bit. We want to talk about the sound that was, and this is again a product of seeing it in a theater for the first time. For me, it was more about hearing it in a theater for the first time. Yeah, like, the sound design of this movie is incredible, and it's something that I never got watching it at home. And we we were talking about like, yes, you have the very obvious aspect of it, which is like the Baba Duke 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 the banging, which did scare the crap out of me watching it in a theater. Um, but even like the little things, like the little scratching, like. Mm-hmm. And again, like even just the kids screaming is nails on a chalkboard. It's like, it's all just awful to listen to. Yeah. Do you know what I picked up while I was watching this and I couldn't quite place it? Then I thought about it. It's like, there's a sound effect that is like, almost like, it sounds exactly like one of the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Mm. I think it like- it Oh, might... I have a fun fact about that. Was it that it, little like let that, low sort of click? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that okay. is from World of Warcraft. That is from World of Warcraft. <laughs> really? Yeah, because when I was looking up trivia for this, I so I someone correct me if I'm wrong, because all I could find was one Screen Rant article about this. But yeah, she took uh, the sound of like when you talk to a dragon in World of Warcraft, and that is that sound. Huh. It's awesome. It it sounds so good. Like the sound design is doing so much heavy lifting, right? Because it's like what they smartly did is 
you know, they relied on shadow and minimal props. And just like, instead of like playing with the Baba Duke's face, they visualized him through a silhouette. So it's just like playing with light and silhouette to like visualize the presence and then using like the sound design to take it that much farther, which is, you know, jazz. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, it's the barrels. Yeah. Like we can't show the sharks, so we got to show the barrels. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's the yeah um, the the fl- the wailing flailing inflatable tube men in uh, in get out in get no uh, in get nope out. nope mm-hmm. you know you can't see him completely but you know he's there you can't like they can't just straight up show it it's like you have to detect it through other means right you know yeah. it's 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 just a signal of it's time to be scared yeah but and that's why you know even the lighting would change in rooms when the Babadook was there right there would be that like she would be laying in bed looking across the room in her closet and then you would hear the Babadook kind of the signals that the Babadook is here. And then she would look back and the whole half of the room would be sort of that, that expressionistic kind of hard shadow, steep fall off cinematography that like you can't see the the closet all of a sudden, all of a sudden the whole room is shadow. And what was it cool too about like, you know, in using the silhouette, number one, yeah, totally. Like it's a, it's a low budget movie and implication is scarier than the reality of it every time right Mm -hmm. um but then (laughs) there's the scene where she's standing in the kitchen and she sort of senses him behind her and she turns she slowly turns around and then out of the shadow of the doorway in the kitchen his silhouette just kind of grows out of it which number one again like it's it's playing on that silhouette instead of playing on the detail you know uh, but number two, it's literally, it's thematically speaking, like it's hit, it's the shadow that's growing and, and getting to the point where you can't ignore it, which is the whole point of the movie, right? Like you can't ignore this thing. Mm-hmm. And even the part of the book says, what's the line in the book that's like, the more you ignore, the, the stronger I, I get. get. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like, and that's so visually like, you know, his silhouette growing out of a shadow that she doesn't want to look at in the first place is just so so sharp and so on point thematically like it's everything is pulling in the same direction this movie it's incredible um what else we want to talk about i well i think i was saying last night the the moment that i realized like i'm actually watching a really frightening movie was the second babadook book appearance when it comes back to her door yeah um and there's that like soft knock yeah soft knock pound and it's sitting there and then she reads it again and it gets way darker and it kind of just takes you through it progressively. And like, like I said, it was, I, it's one of those mo- like moments that you never forget in movies. I was like, I'm frightened. When she's like flipping, cause yeah, the when first she's time she looked through. at it, there were blank pages. Yeah. And then when it comes back, the blank pages are filled up. And it's up popping like, up so much more. Yeah. Like she can't get out of it. She can't avoid it. And it's animated too. Like mm-hmm. there's a, there's a moment where she snaps the dog's neck Ugh. and it like, it, it's in and it and it she slides her own throat and a little red piece of paper comes out of the you know yeah um it's it's more elaborate on every level yeah than the next time she sees it my favorite part about that scene because yeah you're totally right, like that's an incredibly scary scene uh, but my favorite part about it is the moment that happens right after it which first of all the other interesting thing that they do in the sound design and this is a moment where they do it as well is anytime she's looking at the book or the babadook is, is sort of present and there's a score happening and a sound design happening and as soon as she sets it down the sound design just cuts mm-hmm like there's a, you know, I think there's like a vocal track, like a kind of, yeah. kind of vocal track in the music that it cuts out when she sets it down, like on top of the cabinet the first time. And then the, the second time it happens when she sets it on fire, like she throws it on the grill, she sets it on fire and the music cuts out. And then she looks up across the flames and sees Samuel standing there looking at her. And the moment that the two of them share right there 
that's what gave me chills about that scene more than anything because like he is looking at her like you see like, mm-hmm. you see what i'm talking about and she's like i do yeah, she's <laughs> like, like damn it my it, my stupid yeah, kid is and, right and it's just this nonverbal moment between them this this you know and that's what you know good performances do right is like number one they they you know they're both i i thought both clearly communicating something very specific mm-hmm. but also they're doing it in a way where I, th- I think you could project whatever you need to in that moment on it like as the audience like you can see that moment and you can think like oh he's just mad at her for burning the book or you can think about a couple of different things that you know it can be equally affecting in different ways but like the way that they look at each other in that moment it's also the the energy in that moment of like we're the only two on this life raft mm-hmm. you know like it's but I also wonder if there's like a little bit of fear there from the kids parks. Like that's when she starts buying into it. And that's like kind of where she starts flirting with being a more scary person yes. to him. Yes. Well, that's also right around where, cause like when she just buys into it, that's more or less like once the Babadook has been let in. Right. Cause it's like right after that is when we hit the 47 minute mark and we see him for the first time. Yeah. Oh, yeah so that's, that's the scene where he crawls, he opens the, the door. Uh, and we get a little head head fake with that too because the first time you hear the scratching and then you realize that it's the dog wanting to be let in the room and so she opens the door lets the dog in gets back in bed then she hears the scratching again then the door opens by itself again and then the babadook just sort of like you know scribbles into the room and then up and and i think they did this with some like stop motion uh animation i would guess so that's what it looks like some of it was i think it was a combination of things like practically on set and then also some stop motion stuff they also i think they with the frame rate right yeah so it's like yeah they might have shot it practically and then they what what they would have done is like take the film then cut out a frame and then double it up so it looks like it's on like the like it's like so it looks like it's animated on twos or threes it's which gives it that jerky nature like kind of like a a strobe light almost like but it's one of the two times that we actually see the babadook's face Mm -hmm. and and in this moment we see it very uh you know all of this unnatural movement gets it up to the ceiling and then fingers spread out and she's just sitting there watching it happen and then we see his face for a split second as he sort of dives down at her and then the camera like zooms into her mouth right so she at this point she has let him in and Mm -hmm. everything from this moment on like she starts to get you know crazier and more violent and more threatening but you can attribute it all to the babadook at this point i think too what happens in between the book scene the second book scene that we were talking about and the babadook kind of entering her isn't the police scene in between that? Because she actually, she calls the sister and she's like, if you really think you're getting stalked, like go to the police. Yeah. And she goes to the police and I feel like that's kind of her almost last ditch effort to yeah. be like, can and I get out of this? the police are rolling their eyes at her. Yeah. And... But then, yeah, they roll their her their eyes at her and I feel like. She looks crazy. Yeah, she looks nuts. She's frazzled and her hands are all covered. She's looking in... at the coat rack in yeah. the back. Like, no, and I think the significance of that is like, oh, there's no escape. There's nothing I can do. I, can, I can't go to my family. I can't go to my friends. I can't go to the police. Like, this is my life. Yeah. Uh, she is a broken woman. I think that, that is like most exemplified when she's in the doctor's office after the Babadook attacks Samuel in the car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, you remember like he starts to have that seizure and then they like go to the doctor's office. Yeah. And he's just like, is there anything you can give me to help him now? Just anything. Her, anything. And like the doctor is just like looking at her. And, well, just, and even the way that he says it too, it's, and, and this is such a, um, this is a nightmare for parents, honestly. The, the single line that just gets all over me in this scene is, most mothers don't like to do this. Oh, wait, I've never noticed that. Oh, man. He said, wait, most, most mothers don't like to talk, In talking line. about giving, giving Samuel tranquilizers. Because it's like it makes him a little foggy and he might be nauseous. Like most mothers don't like to do this. 
but you're a but bad if it's, one. But if it's yeah. really bad, and she's like, it's really bad. Like that that line is so cruel and so so lacking in empathy to to say that to a parent. It, it just it gets all over me. But it, it's another example of why this is such an incredibly well written well written movie because it's like that's the kind of thing that's like subtly brutal. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I don't think and I ever noticed it until just now. Yeah. But what a brutal well, it's, line! It's in the same vein as the the you know the other moms at the birthday party saying like, oh, you know, I've I've you know deigned to talk to disadvantaged women before, and you know, mm-hmm. like that's obviously condescending and gross and everything. But like this subtle little dig about like most mothers don't like this. But apparently yeah. you're terrible. Right. <laughs> like, right. But it's, it, that's everyone's attitude, except for really the neighbor. is like, we pity you, but like we have our own shit. You're like, yeah. you are on your own. Well, you yeah, have to deal yeah, with this. And it's your, your fault. Yeah. You know, and you should, you should just be better about it. Mm-hmm. You know, which is just wholly cruel. Most mothers aren't too keen on them unless it's really bad. It's really bad. And talking more about it, because that that scene in the doctor's office, in, in terms of Essie Davis's performance, is so incredibly good and vulnerable. And but when she starts to shift gears, is I think when this when this movie really sings, right? And there's the scene where she wakes up in the middle of the night, she's hearing whispers and all this stuff, and she discovers Samuel has, is calling the neighbor to to oh. ask to spend the night over there because he's scared. And this is and then at she starts she brandishes a knife at him. Like in a way that is so scary, just the physicality of her in that scene. Because we ta- I talked a little bit about her voice and like the you know vocal performance that she does, differentiating between her mental states through her her voice. But like the physicality of her in that scene to go from like exhausted and broken and to physically very intimidating and threatening, like the way that she swings the knife and just even the way that she like points it at him occasionally, like it's. I never thought that she was going to stab him, but mm-hmm. I thought she was capable of stabbing him. So, and like, which is, I think, the point of that, which is an incredible line to walk, I think. Well, that's, I think that's the beginning of the Stephen King homageness of this all. The more I watch this this morning, the more I realize that there are so many one to one shining moments here, like that being one of them. Because yeah. you remember in The Shining when he goes into the, when he goes into the, uh, the radio room and he, he smashes all the transistors? This is like the one for one of that. Then like later when the Babadook fully consumes her, uh, Samuel goes to hide in his room. And it's another scene where like they have to like menacingly break down the door. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. her the, the way that she breaks through the door. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my like, God. Grabbing she, on. She, she the, jumps yeah. up to the like. She grabs know, onto the door there? jam yeah. or whatever's up there. I mean, it, it looks animal. Right. Well, like and she's she's grabs onto the top of the door frame. And like swings back and her body back and forth and kicks through the door. And even how she lands, it's like action hero landing when she gets on the other side. Like it's powerful and animalistic in a way that is is so clearly not her doing it. Yeah, it's so great. And then like, you know, like I always love like the playful, like the like overtly theatrical present like uh, possession monologues. Mm-hmm. You know, because like she comes through that door. And I mean, again, like just to one to one it to like the shining it's just like jack's like i'm not gonna just give me uh, give me the bat i'm not gonna hurt you i'm just gonna bash your brains in and then she's just like you know i just want to take your head and like smash smash it against against the the brick wall wall until your brains pop out yeah and it's just like that kind of like 
playful terror that like you know like jack torrance does it reagan in the shining has like those kind of like moments and oh, in the exorcist yeah, yeah. Or the exorcist like yeah, yeah reagan in the exorcist has those kind of moments right. and it's just like those are so fun yeah and just like horribly terrifying yeah well and because there's you know in all of those moments it's like you know there's the the father fig- the paternal figure that's supposed to protect the family is now saying i'm gonna bash your brains in and then like a little girl is saying your mother sucks in hell and then like it's all of those things that don't they're incongruous in ways that that allow us to laugh at it but like what's great about this too and like also like you know for all intents and purposes like the house is just the overlook you know it's they're trapped in this house and it's a child who has to defend himself against you know his parent yeah mm-hmm. well and instead of you know the snow and isol and like physical geographic isolation like this is she's been cut off emotionally from everybody like there's no there's no place to go for support by the end of this yeah. and so like that's her isolation which is fascinating well and i think a lot of it is just making what's supposed to be the safe space the prison yeah. so like like you were saying with the the your parents are supposed to protect you she's now the monster your home is supposed to be the safe space it's now the prison your bed is supposed to be the safe space like in that scene where the babadook enters her for the first time she's hiding under the covers because that's supposed to be the safe place there is no safe place well and even it it does it it does it for everybody too right because like there's there's the idea of a kid being afraid for his safety from his parents Mm -hmm. there's the idea of a parent being afraid that they won't be able to do their job as a parent because they're failing at it in in ways that aren't entirely in their control you know so it's like it's scary for everybody but the other cool thing about and and you know the intro that i talked about in terms of like how it sort of sets up you know trains you how to watch this movie it really is built the whole movie is built like one big jump scare right jump scares and you're supposed to be presented with a place that you think is safe and then all of a sudden it's not and you jump Right, mm-hmm. like with its definition of a jump scare, and like and I this feel is like, like yeah. this is like an extended ninety-minute jump scare because you're slowly presented with these. Here are these safe spaces that families are aware of and traditionally use, and they are not safe anymore. But it doesn't happen for another eighty minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I'm incredible. A, I'm also fascinated too because like the thing that I found, I like the thing that I found most scary about this, is like it where it's very Stephen Kingy, and it's like they're in its third act. With the sole exception of one thing, which is Stephen King is like meticulous about his plotting. Like he's he goes out of his way to make sure like the plot of his books are very clear and what the characters need to do Mm -hmm. in order to achieve their goals. And the frightening thing about this movie is that like I just have no idea. And I mean, neither do the characters of how they can rid themselves like rid themselves yeah. of the Babadook. You're talking about like using the shining as an example again how the hotel literally tells Jack Nicholson what like he it's needs like to do. like ho- the hotel is like Jack you're in you got locked in the freezer like come on I thought you were supposed to murder your family <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, what are yeah, you yeah. doing buddy? What are you doing? Like, yeah. like get out of here. And then but at the same time You need me to let you out or yeah, what? Like but at the same time like and then like Danny is running around but like Dick Hollerin is shining to him just being like yeah. you need to get out of there and like you like so it's like the shining sets the goal of like what the people need to do in order to survive and makes it like unambiguously clear. Yeah. And the thing that I find the most frightening of about this film is how completely ambiguous and chaotic 
it is because you have no idea how they're supposed to overcome this thing. But no, that that is the the perfect way to transition into the ending, right? Yeah. Ultimately, what sets this movie apart from literally everything else I've ever seen, I think, mm-hmm. is the idea that that there is no way out. Yeah, the monster is never vanquished. The monster is never vanquished. So it it ends with the monster. She just finally confronts it and she yells at it and she says, "You're not going to. You're not going to defeat me." And this is my house and all of it. It's a, it's a great, and it's the other thing too, going back to Essie Davis's voice again, because I can't stop talking about that, but it's that powerful voice, but it's her this time. Mm -hmm. Right. But the idea that it's not vanquished, it's just, they learn how to live with it. Well, that's the, the five stages of grief, right? Right. Like you get to accept it. Acceptance doesn't mean that it just goes away. Right. It's like, you still have it. Like you still lost your husband. You still like, he still doesn't have a dad. Like acceptance means you just take a bowl of worms down to the basement. Yeah. We've all done that in grief. It's still a very scary thing that lives in their basement. And it still scares the crap out of her when she goes down to feed it at the end. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's the idea. And also I do love the, you know, after all the dust is settled and the transition into the little epilogue scene is basically is like a pan up through dirt and then like through the surface and she's working in her garden and then it settles on like a really weird looking black rose. There's growth happening. Yeah. You know, which is very cool. And then like they're collecting worms to get, and she goes down there and it's scary and it almost knocks her over, but she stands back up. And she says, it's okay. It's okay. She's like calming down the, the bees and gives it its bowl of worms. Mm-hmm. And then they move on with their lives, which and, like, the, the idea that yeah. you have to nurture that to live with it is, is such a great way to end a horror movie. It's right? like surprisingly wholesome. It was great. Yeah. It's a lovely ending. Like in there, yeah. it's all smiles and hugs. Yeah. Like at the end, yeah. like the visual, the, even just like the visual where like the protective services people come back and they have the happy birthday <laughs> yeah. sign, like. The texture of the lighting in the room changes yeah. too. Yeah, like it's the, very, it's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's it's like the soft way that they shot the rest the, of exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's they're the shadows, the expressionist shadows are the gloom of the whole house that's just kind of generally there. Which frankly, like, I don't know how you teach class on lighting for gloom, you know? Mm-hmm. But like they did it, and in the basement, there's still that steep fall off shadow. Yep. Uh, but not in the not in the house. The house looks looks newer and fresher and cleaner, and, you know, and there's the house, light in it, and it's warm and comfortable for the first time mm-hmm. in the whole movie. The house looks like it's uh you know interior decorated by like the mom in Beetlejuice. A little bit, <laughs> yeah. But like it's and too like, what we were saying earlier about like her having just straight up no joy in her life. Like she's finding moments of joy. Like yes, the Babadook is still there. But she's able to like hug her son and laugh and be silly for like a moment and and celebrate his birthday on the yeah. day. Wait, there is there is one there is one nitpick that we do have to talk about. What? Though. And Clint brought it up yesterday. Where the fuck that dove come from? Oh god, yeah. No, it was a, a real magic trick. He's good at magic. He does that magic. So the kid loves doing magic. Where that? Where that then, dove come from? And then like, he how, turns like, a he turns a coin into a bird, and it's like, no, that's a good trick. And I I understand that magic tricks are things that are are you know. <laughs> anybody can do but where'd you get the bird how, do, how does it how did, where'd you how, get that how does, bird how does a child he's a magician how does, it, how does a child acquire a bird and particularly in that moment yeah. like his mom just got her stitches out from when he stabbed her in the leg the yeah. other night <laughs> <laughs> when they were fighting off a you know the uh the spiritual embodiment of grief um <laughs> and then like he managed to go and, and procure a bird yeah. for that magic <laughs> trick well, like, how did he get that bird? i believe it's real magic and then like did he drug that bird? Because it doesn't fly away. I bet he. Uh, I bet it was a neighbor, old lady neighbor. I bet it was went, symbolism. You know. I bet it was like dove means peace. Well, let's put well, this in uh, there. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't, Jennifer Kent's no John Woo. I don't, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> I don't think she's leaning on doves quite like that. But, yeah. 
Um, well, it doesn't fly away. It doesn't fly but away. That, no. it, well, it, they, it's a cheap movie. They had to return that bird. <laughs> <laughs> that dove is just chained down yeah. there. They had to turn in the receipts. All right. Should we do a movie list? Let's do it. This movie list, uh, or this movie only appeared specifically on one list. And it was the list that was my own personal top 10. <laughs> <laughs> which I separated into the categories of movies that I like. And this was the pick for hyper. It was the hyper specific subgenre of the monster as a metaphor. That's a so very that's, specific. Yeah, that was my, yeah. that was how I approached my personal top 10 list. So back this beat in, Godzilla back in 20. For <laughs> yeah, <monsters>. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Godzilla was a, a oh. narrow, narrow runner up. <laughs> um, but this was back in 2018, you know, that's six years ago now. And I, I stand by it. Like, do we not I have a know. do we have a scariest movies list well that's the other that, i think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't shown up on me i mean i gave it an honorable mention i gave it a shout out in the the sundance top 10 that we just put out okay uh, because i i did put it in the horror category um uh and i am i can't imagine it hasn't gotten a few more shout outs over the years but horror is one like it, it i would put it on the top 10 horror list but we've always kind of danced around doing just a straight top 10 of the genre like it's a lot do, of pressure. Well, we do like top 10 horror tropes and top scariest moments and, you know, things like that. Like the best non-canon horror kind of thing. I remember there was like, if you like, you did that one list. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, we did the top five where we replaced like the Mount Rushmore yeah. horror movies with, you know. More modern. Like, let's say Psycho doesn't exist. What's going to do it for it? Psycho 2. Yeah. Psycho 2. Yeah. Uh, or Henry, Portrait of Serial Killer. Something like that. I mean, it's not it's not in a scary movie or moments list. No, I don't have one. I think we did seven. For some reason, we only did seven. I can't yeah. remember why, but but I I would be happy to put it on. I mean, are there any lists outside of horror? Are there any lists that it belongs on? Directorial debuts, if we have that list. Yeah, that'd it's be a good strong one. directorial debut. It really is. Movie monsters. Movie monsters. Scary yeah, kids. That'd be good. Oh uh, yeah, creepy kids is a good mm-hmm. one. I mean, like family movies. Yeah. Like there's a if you if you yeah, talk about oh yeah Clint family movies you gonna you gonna go home and show your kids <laughs> if you talk no when I'm, like movies about families because like I think you could probably do we did a top ten families uh, but we did it in uh, we did it in kind of a different approach I think we did it in like size of family in in a way um, it's always so weird it's always do weird a lot breaking of cheaper by the dozen companies. yeah yeah it's it's always weird breaking these categories down and just figuring out like how how to go about it but I don't know I mean there's something there would be a category in that for like horror movie families mm-hmm. you know, like hereditary would be in there hereditary would be in there which is yeah shining sort of, yeah yeah um by the way i think it like i clearly have a type because the shining the babadook and hereditary are all on my list so. <laughs> <laughs> like, spoilers but. great well we're gonna get to watch them yeah. at some point possession movies mm-hmm. although it's arguable which i like about it you yeah. could argue that she was pose- possessed or you could argue that she might, just went nuts there might be something about it like supernatural movies and like possession being a part being a subcategory of that i mean supernatural horror i think yeah 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 we're working in some yeah point is like just point is she's like clearly has a demonstrable personality shift whether that's due to possession or sleep deprivation yeah but i like and like even at our q a last night like uh jennifer kent was like i don't like to explain it i i want you to take from it what you take from it somebody somebody asked about why why the worms yeah Yeah, and she was like whatever you get from it yeah like oh i don't know 
Who knows? I think is what. And she I said. feel like the temptation must be really hard to resist that for ten years of doing interviews, Dude, but she's it, resisted it. Like it, you cannot at, find at this point. Just you, you think she would just like make something up? Yeah, no, no, no. Like I mean, retroactively, like she has come around to a different way of looking at her own film, and it becomes about something. So mm-hmm. David Chase. It took David Chase fifteen years. Yeah. To accidentally refer to the. Conclude like the final finale of The Sopranos is the death scene. Oh, like, he, he, he just can't like that was the scoop. Like yeah. someone was yeah. like, ah, ah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he caught himself in the moment too. Yeah, wait, that's yeah. kind of precious. He though. was just like, oh, he's just like you know, like when it happens in the death scene, he was just like, oh, uh, no, shit. there mean, goes all of that. <laughs> Tried so hard. Well, let's torf. So we went through most of them. I have well, I've been left on my own without Tayo for Torf yeah. here in Sundance. We, but I've, we I, are out on our on our on our own here. In the, yeah, uh, I have two, so this is going to be a fifty fifty. Um, all right, Torf, true or false? Uh, Jennifer Kent named the monster the Babadook because it roughly translates to "He is coming for sure" in Hebrew. True. I'm gonna go false. It's false, and I'm being a little annoying You're here. Being a little so, tayo about it. yeah, I'm being a little tayo about it. I've learned from the master. Um, so it is true that it translates roughly into "He is coming for sure" in Hebrew, uh, but that's kind of a coincidence. Uh, I don't think she knew that. She said um, the name partially came from the Serbian word "babaruga," which means boogeyman. Uh, in an interview with Complex, she said, "I wanted it to be something a child could make up, like Jabberwocky or some other nonsense." Uh, I wanted to create a new myth that was just solely for uh, of this film and didn't exist anywhere else. Nice. So. But also, it's kind of John Wick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I do think it's interesting that it was like just a coincidence. So it's, it's like, false he's coming. In that it's, it's that's not why she named kind it of that. An accident. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. That's one of those weird things about creativity in general is like, yeah. that sort of coincidence is like, it kind of makes you think there's something universal that everybody taps into. Yeah. So they're like, I had no idea that's what this meant, but boy, does it, it work. kind of works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is coming. Um, all right. Last Torf. Jennifer Kent has teased a possible sequel to the Babadook. I, I got, I, false. False. Yeah. That is, it's, it's false. And in an interview with IGN's own Jim Vegveda. Vegveda? Vegveda. Ved, yeah. Oh. Um, sorry, Jim. Uh, she said, well, the good news is I had the foresight to make sure that my producer and I owned the rights to any sequels, which is really smart. Uh, the reason is that I will never allow any sequel to be made because it's not that kind of film. I don't care how much I'm offered. It's just not going to happen. Hell yeah. Good. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> I love More her so much. Her. That's great. Uh, That's great. She's 1 billion percent right. And, you know, on, and honestly, watching it again after a couple of years and watching it in a different environment on the big screen, like it's a movie that you just keep getting more out of. Mm-hmm. Another perk of what happens when, you know, you only make a movie for two point five million dollars. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Don't worry. Appar- also, according to her in the Q&A last night was she was it, it, it took some doing to get financing for it, because apparently uh, the Australian film capital people. Uh, just didn't like horror, according mm-hmm. to her. She's like, yeah, these weren't horror people, so they didn't take it seriously. And so they're like, yeah, go work on the script. And then she, this is the funniest thing about it. She's like, I changed like two words, and then I went <laughs> back, really and then funny. we got the money. Like, <laughs> well, the other thing is too, like, because uh, part of my tour, which I blew myself uh, earlier, was that it was a flop in Australia. Australia, yeah. and the way she described it was like, Australians just don't like Australian things. Like we have to know it's her exact quote has like Australians have this inbuilt aversion to seeing Australian films. They only, they hardly ever get excited about our own stuff. We tend to love things once everyone else confirms they're good. Oh wow. I just think that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, And then later she's like, I'm stubborn. I'm renting two more films set in Australia. 
and I intend to make them here. They're just not for Australians. Great. <laughs> Good for her. Like, if, if The Nightingale was one of those movies, yeah. that, like that, that movie will just break you in half. She is really good at making ways. you feel yeah. bad, like uncomfortable. Okay. You know, the other thing that we need to talk about I know. in this section, the gay Babadook icon. is a gay icon. Yeah. And how, so like, I've always heard that. Like, how did that come about? So like any big meme, the origins are dubious. Sure. Uh, but everything that I've been able to find, I found this old Guardian article that kind of walks you through it. Basically, it was October 2016 that someone made just a post on Tumblr that was along the lines of like, if you don't think the Babadook is gay, were you even watching the same movie? And it was so like funny and stupid that it went <laughs> yeah. a little viral. But wasn't there something to do too about like Netflix? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. this is where it took off after that. And I, I, I was trying to find out if anyone figured out it was like a, a doctored Photoshop or like, but like someone took a screenshot of Netflix and under LGBT uh films on netflix the babadook was listed there <laughs> among like actual queer films it was like categorized yeah. and that's where film. it took off like yeah. and i i in my head i like to believe it was really there on netflix that like someone at netflix saw the tumblr post and was like yeah it's a gay film yeah, like put yeah. In here. yeah oh that it wasn't like a, a, a yeah mistake. that it wasn't they like a glitch i i want to believe someone was on tumblr saw someone that post yeah meme. put yeah. it in the section but that's where it took off was the stupid netflix lgbt uh film thing that's incredible i know yeah there was uh so that was the other thing about the q a last night somebody asked her about that and she she was just like i love it it's yeah. great i i you know go know go nuts everybody and the guy who <laughs> asked her about that was dressed as gay icon the babadook yeah. like <laughs> yeah it was it was an incredible look um but it got so big that like literally i think it was like june 2017 like a year after like the next year that he was the mascot for pride like yeah. i cannot stress enough how big this stupid like like part of its legacy went yeah. off like there were babadook cosplayers at pride parades like okay. la theaters were doing like charity screenings during june of the babadook like it took off yeah. i do like too that there, there was some legitimate discourse about there was about yeah. it too like people taking it taking it more seriously than it because like i mean it's obvious that that jennifer kent's intention was was never in yeah that, in you know never in that direction but like but the idea of, of looking at the Babadook as like a disruptive force that shows up in a family dynamic is mm -hmm. like, it's interesting. Like it's, it's a, it's a way to read this movie where it's like, you know, this is a parent that doesn't want to deal with the fact that maybe their kid is gay. Like there's a, there's a one-to-one -one allegory of like how that might affect. And even the ending makes sense for that too. It's like the way, you know, maybe, maybe the parent isn't ever quite, doesn't ever quite get it. Uh, but you have to nurture it and you have to be aware of it and it's never a thing that's going away. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. It, it's just a fascinating thing that happened. Well, and I think like when you have any kind of meme that blows up that much, there's always something like a little more to it. Like sometimes it's it, just funny. It wouldn't have legs if it didn't have a bit of Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's that what you just said, Clint. And I think there's something about too, like kind of softening a really scary figure. Sure. Because like, the Babadook is hilarious when you just put him on top of a pride flag and say gay rights. Like it, it makes him so much softer when the Babadook yeah. scared the crap out of me yeah, when I watched yeah. him in the movie. And now he's like, you know, a symbol for, yeah, for pride month. So yeah, that's no. incredible. Yeah. It's, it's one of my favorite parts about that. Like I loved the Babadook before he became a gay icon, but yeah. like, it's just, oh, it's, so good. it's just a, it's just a wonderful sentence. And, and you know, that has to do with, um, you know the cult status in the movie too like mm -hmm. that that's fed into the success and the the livelihood of the movie as, as much as anything um but like it's 
it's such a it's just such a funny sentence the babadook is a gay, <laughs> it's, a gay it's great it's <laughs> that's so the other thing like sometimes there's something deeper to a meme yeah. and sometimes it's just really funny and you know and that and that people are getting some degree of joy out of that is, mm-hmm. is wonderful like go film you yeah know? and like you said it's clearly not what jennifer kent intended but like no. that's the joy of of and for her for her to her credit like never shutting it down or never nope. saying like I, you know it's it's not even a situation she's like no that's not what it's about like yeah. it's not even that it's, it's like oh i love it great well Go like nuts. and I, th- I think the first time i saw her respond to it she said something along the lines of like yeah of course that that asshole would find some way to stay relevant it yeah, is by yeah. becoming a queer icon yeah, like that is so babadook whole, of him yeah <laughs> the whole idea of, of the babadook is like i'm not leaving yeah no nope, i'm, I'm sticking around yeah <laughs> even if you got to keep me in the basement and feed me worms I'm, yeah i am not going anywhere <laughs> gay icon gay icon babadook. here we go <laughs> <laughs> who's your mvp for the movie guys uh, it's, it's jennifer it's yeah jennifer Kent. cal yeah i mean jennifer kent for sure um se davis is great she's yeah, up there se davis I, is definitely a, a second place because I, I i do think that that is an incredible performance it, it features so much range that mm-hmm. like this movie would not be successful with a performance less than the absolute like absolute yeah. like commitment that se davis gave it but at the same time it wouldn't exist without you know Sure, that's that's fair. Chicken it, like, or egg kind of thing. It, yeah, it's a chicken or egg, egg thing for sure. Like Jennifer Kent wrote the script and and directed the movie, and and like she gets all the credit in the world and the craft that's on display on on everybody that worked in this movie. We, we've talked so much about sound design and the cinematography, the production design, but like I got to give it to Essie Davis for that exact reason. I think none of that craft matters if there's a weak performance at the front. Like I I think it's. You know, for better or worse, you can have a beautiful looking movie with with a performance that's weak and and the Babadook is not a gay icon. You know, Mm -hmm. like I I think that she, you know, her her ability to be terrifying and empathetic, like at the on the drop of a hat. It's incredible. Like the way that she navigated everything that Amelia was going through in this movie. Uh, I don't think I don't think the cinematography matters if she's not good like that. And that's part of the question we ask when we ask, like, like with the MVP, who is so indispensable that this movie couldn't be made. Um, Also, just I know the Oscars really don't matter. But the fact that, like, she wasn't nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress for this, like the whole movie should have been nominated. for. Well, I I don't think it blew up quick enough. That that's like, probably it true. It too. didn't blow up in the year. Yeah. You know? I mean, she got she she was a, she won. Uh, or no, she was nominated in uh, Australia. Um, but yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it got big enough stateside in 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 that time frame to get nominated. Also, we haven't talked. I don't think he's the MVP, but we haven't talked much about the kid. Um, yeah. And I I meant to talk him talk about him during Torf, uh, but like they tried so hard to keep him from knowing the contents of the movie. Uh, yeah, what's the quote? Like, I didn't want to ruin a child. I didn't want to ruin a child uh, childhood <laughs> so because good. of this movie, and that's yeah. another reason why I like Jennifer Kent so much. Yeah. Because like, she directed this whole movie without this kid knowing what was happening. They never did a script read because they didn't. They wanted to shield him from the yeah. content of the movie, and even scenes where like uh, Amelia is yelling at him, they have on the other side of the screen an adult on his knees, like yeah. so she's looking down her eye line. Right. Like they they. Tried so hard to protect that child. I want to bash your brain. I want to bash your head against yeah. the Yeah, she's not so saying that to an actual child. Out. She's saying it's like a grip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the fact that like Jennifer Kent was able to do that and still direct this performance out of this kid that yeah. is just phenomenal. Like this kid, I don't, it's I can't, good. it's, she's, yeah. And, and S.E. Davis is amazing too, but I'm going to stick with Jennifer. Okay. 
All right. Wait, are well, you guys both saying Essie? No, I am. No. Oh, okay. I'm team Essie. Mostly just because I love uh, Miss Fisher's murder mystery so much. <laughs> um, but let's get into the important casting part of this. Cal, who's Nicolas Cage going to play in this movie? <laughs> I mean, listen, the honestly, I, I think they could have got Nicolas Cage for real cheap here. Because, I mean, it's like one day is shooting, you know. Pop in, throw him in the makeup chair. <laughs> As the Babadook? Yeah, it's like, like Nick, we need you for 48 frames. That's about two, we need you about t- for two yeah. seconds. We need, we need you for about two seconds. There. We're really looking to pull people out of the movie by having them stop and say, is that Nicolas Cage? Yeah. Well, I was, because I was thinking about it too. Like, what if they had him play the husband because he's there for like one scene? Mm-hmm. And that would also be so bizarre and take you out of it so much. You'd need, like, a, you'd need a young Nick Cage. Like, you need Moonstruck Nick Cage. Like, 2014 Nick Cage. Is just yeah too old too old. What if what if Nick Cage was the neighbor? Well, what if you swap him instead of Mrs. Roach? It's Mr. Roach, the the kindly kindly neighbor. That could how be... weird is that dynamic with fifty whatever year old Nicholas Cage? Weird. What happens if he's the older brother? The older brother? Yeah, instead of having the sister. Oh, so oh. swap him in for Claire. Yeah, swap it up from Claire. I don't know. I like the dynamic of. I like the dynamic of other women yeah. kind of cutting her Making off. her feel like a bad mom. Yeah. I think you lose a little something that way. Can I take a big swing? And I'm not saying I Please endorse do. it. What if him as the parent? Nick Cage playing anybody going crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that's a home run. I mean, that's that's even more. If, if this movie is a spiritual successor to The Shining, yeah. like it's even more so with Nicolas Cage mm-hmm. in the lead. I don't know if I like too it better, of, but I would too watch. Much of a too much of a spiritual. Yeah. yeah. The thing about this is. We're going to talk about the Oscar Wilde quote that Clint has, <laughs> yeah. Clint has just so just recently learned. It's be I as well. Thing. Uh, the other half too, right? Which is just like, hold on, let me look this up so I don't. So the, the quote that everybody knows is imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. But the rest of the quote is imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. Is that did I nail it? What a burn! Yeah. Which is such a such a sick burn. I love it so much, and I never I never known that that's what the real quote is. Which is so perfectly fitting, because people hijacking just the first half of that quote. It's just like no no no. This applies to people who stop reading halfway through the headline. Like <laughs> it's like <laughs> I got what I need out of this. I'm not going to read the rest. Like, and I think if like if you made Nicolas Cage, yeah, you might as well just remake Shining. Yeah, you yeah. might as well just remake yeah. Shining. That that would have been that would have been the full. This movie exists in like the ignorant half reading of that quote, where right. it's like, yeah, it, it, ha- it pays homage, but it transcends it as well. Yeah. So it, it's its own work that stands on its own two feet and is a, more than a legitimate contribution to the genre. Yeah. Whereas if this just had Nicolas Cage as Al- as as, uh, as Amelia, as, as, yeah. Amelia, as Amelia, yeah. then it's Emilio, Emilio, yeah, then it's just a. <laughs> You know, yeah. more more of a, more of a shining. It's a clone. it's a shining also, Rand. Yeah, I do think like if he's the neighbor, like losing that kindly old woman energy again. I think the I, I think you lose something there too because like in the same sense that I would like Claire to stay a woman, like having an older woman there ready to support her mm-hmm. matters more to me than like just it's not just the neighbor is nice, right? Like it's you make a good point about like both being potentially protected by the older lady and being judged by the, I, I wouldn't want to have any of the women replaced by men. Right. Like it, it is so important for her to feel like a bad mom. Yeah. Like I'm trying to think maybe if like 
he was the coworker who had a crush on her. Yeah, but that barely matters. And uh, yeah, the husband would just be like, w- "That would be Matt Damon Interstellar levels." Of, <laughs> yeah. I'm out of here. But then the the coworker is such a small, insignificant thing that like I don't think it yeah. really matters. I don't know that. It, I think we might have found a movie that Nicolas Cage doesn't make better. I, to be yeah. fair, I, I've said that about a few movies, but this might be the first time yeah. that you guys agree with me. Again, 48, 48 frames. 48 frames. There's 48, just, there's, just the there's face o- of the battle. There's only 48 frames that could potentially, yeah. and not meaningfully, be improved. Right. Because mm-hmm. right. it's just like, because you know what? If you get Nicolas Cage in there as the Babadook, that's the story you talk about when you go on Colbert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want, like, he, like, I just wanted to work with him so bad. And I was like, the only thing I got is the monster. Yeah. I need you, I need you on set for a day. You're going to be in this movie for right. two seconds. And Nick Cage was just like, you might even be able to take a selfie and we can just paste it on there. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I got, I got something from, uh, uh, from Getty images. We we're good. We don't even need you. Um, where's this rank for you guys? Alex, where'd you have it? It's in my top 10. It's my Ooh, number nine. Look I out. Freaking love this movie. Yeah. I don't have, uh, I had it at 48, oh. which revisiting feels too low. Honestly, nine feels too like last night. I was even so, like I was like I, top ten. I think is it should be top five. One? Like no. it is the scariest movie I've ever watched, and I don't think I ever will watch a movie that scares me more. I do. I do think that I will when revisiting the top one hundred. This is gonna. This is gonna see a big jump. Yeah. Yeah. This is gonna uh, see, especially after seeing it in the theaters. Like it's gonna get. It's gonna get a big old bump when I when I revisit this list. But Cal, seeing as that didn't leave an impression on you yeah, 10 years it did, ago? Yeah, it's not on my list, but yeah. uh, I definitely am looking at my list right now and just like, yeah, that doesn't need to see, be <laughs> See a couple that might be I, able I, to I, lose I, 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 could pop, I could pop a couple off here. So uh, we, are, we are out here on our own, but I do have some intel uh, from Dan. Uh, Dan did not have it on his list either. So you, uh, Cal, you're, you're the uh, Team Dan this episode. How does it feel? Uh, uh, you know, I've been on Team Dan a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> and as always, it feels bad. But being being on <laughs> yeah, being on two lists, uh, number nine and number forty eight puts this at number thirty two on nice. the top one hundred. Wait, I feel like that's pretty good. It feels about right. That's probably yeah. about where I'll move it up to. Yeah, like, I, you know. But number thirty two feels right. Feels yeah, right. That feels good. Feels good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that I think uh, I won't give Dan any credit for this. He's created an algorithm that's that's doing good work on its own. I think. Um, but that's going to do it for us this week. So uh, thank you for for listening to this audio only special from Sundance. We're going to go get back in the snow and watch some more movies. Uh, we are going to have a, another little special episode from Sundance running down some of the stuff that we saw here and whether or not any of that is top 100 worthy or merely um, just watchable or merely yeah. just, <laughs> or merely just really good. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, most of the movies that we've seen here this week are like 110. But uh, we're getting ready to launch season two. It's it's officially firing up right around the corner with Seven Samurai. It's going to be the first episode of season two. Uh, Never heard of it. We're going to do yeah. So it'll be a fun movie to talk about. Little uh, a little known, little known, uh, scrappy little guy. Happy to shed some light on yeah to the masses. Um, but yeah, we are out here on our own in Park City this week, so uh, audio only in the, the living room of an Airbnb. But uh, all the same, thank you to our our usual crew: Tayo Yakin, Ryan Franz, and Jamie Parslow. I don't even have to not thank Dan. Oh, yeah, he has nothing to do with this. He's even less deserving of thanks this week than he normally is. So that's a good thing. And he doesn't even have it on his list. So So screw you, Dan. Way to go, Dan. Uh, But in the meantime, we'll see you uh, next time for Seven Samurai. And stay safe. Be good. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.
Hi, it's Jennifer, a founder of Go Kid Go and a mom to two kids. Join my family on the story train with calm conductor Birdie each night as we travel through the magic rainbow tunnel to everywhere and anywhere to find the best bedtime stories. Search for Story Train on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.